Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Sunday Recap, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermon this past Sunday. We're missing Chris, we're missing Kendrick, and we're missing Elliot. They're all busy, and I don't know why or what they're doing, and I won't make anything up about what it is, because then people will call me a liar. Um, But I'm Joey Colon. With me is... Dave Murray. Oh, we did it at the same time. That's the best. Stepped on him. Yeah. <laughs> so Jim Wilson, our executive pastor, Dave McMurray, our senior pastor, um, are here with me, and we're talking about the sermon, and we're going to get right to it. Usually we uh, dilly dally, daddy, what is the word? Dilly dilly dally, I believe is the technical dilly, term. Dilly dally, where you could dwaddle. We squander time in the beginning. Or you could lolly get lolly gag. We're prodigal with the use of our yes, time. Yes, we're prodigal. Yeah. We just give it away freely. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we're actually ready to go. Uh, it took me a minute to figure things out because Chris usually helps with all the behind the scenes, making it visible for everyone. But he's out. We told him take a break. Actually, he probably told us I'm taking a break. But <laughs> but we're gonna hang out. We're gonna talk about the sermon, uh, and it's another sermon in our stories of the King series where we're learning about uh, Jesus, where we're learning about the true King who came to save sinners. This week was, um, I guess, especially about sinners, right? So uh, we talked about the parable of the prodigal son. um, And that comes from Luke chapter 15, looking at verses 11 through 32. And you did kind of touch back to the couple of um, parables that come before this. What are those parables? Can you remind us of those? Yeah, so we've got the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. I'm looking back. I always forget the order. Coins. It's sheep and then coins. Yes. Yeah. um, And I said a little bit yesterday, I think it reminded me of the parable about the workers and their wages and Mm -hmm. the ones who work different. It kind of has a hint of that too. But can, can you, before we start, talk through, I don't remember which part of your sermon it was, but you talked about how those parables are related and building um, building the story, this this bigger story about sinners um, in the cultural context. Do you remember that part, what I'm talking about? Or not really? Um, the t- I, I, did, I did talk about in general how our culture sometimes confuses grace with sin doesn't exist. Is that that part? Is that what you're uh, talking about? Something else. Maybe. I, I just remember you talking somewhat about... Um, Man, this is hard. You were talking something about, uh, you know, the first parable, people would have looked at him and been like, well, it's money. I see how you can look for money. Uh, yeah, and then like, yeah. Oh, it's so, a lost sheep. I see you could have looked for a lost sheep. Yeah. So he kind of built. Yeah, he was building on it. So, yeah, the, uh, the sheep and the coin, I think people could have related to more easily, even if they didn't value sinners as much as he did or as much as he said that God does. They could have at least said, oh, okay, I follow you with the coin and the sheep. If I have a valuable coin, I'm going to look for it. If I have a valuable sheep, I'm going to look for it. Okay, I got, you know, I'm tracking with that. The logic makes sense. But then he kind of doubles down, I would say, with the lost son, that it's more mm. outrageous. It's uh, less in keeping with their cultural norms. A um, couple of things he would not have, you know, the the average self-respecting father would have just 
disowned the son rather than giving him the inheritance. You know, it was so, sh- so shocking that he asked for it early and went and spent it all. And then, you know, second tier of that is he wouldn't have welcomed him back either. So that, that level of grace to a disrespectful son was probably more shocking and hard to follow for the first century religious people. Hmm. And, and at least in your notes, I'm looking at you started off by saying religious people don't like that Jesus is so friendly with sinners. Mm-hmm. In my notes that I was taking, I actually had it towards the end of your sermon. I think you said something like religious people didn't like that Jesus loved the outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, I guess, is that still true today? So you said religious mm-hmm. people didn't like that Jesus loved the outsiders. Do religious mm-hmm. people still act that way? And if so, who are those outsiders? What do you mm-hmm. think? Man, that's really good. Yeah, I think the trick is some of us like the term religious, some of us do not. So, you know, so you're kind of, it cuts both ways. I tend to see religious as a negative term. Um, Traditional Christians want to fight for religion as a good term because the Puritans used it as a positive term, which is fine. God bless Puritans. But uh, in the Bible, Jesus tends to use religious as a negative term. So, um, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's just, you gotta, you gotta agree on what you mean by it. But if you find your identity in being religious rather than in Jesus, well, that's negative, you know, mm-hmm. according to the Bible. Um, but if religious just means I'm devoted, well then yeah, that's fine. Be devoted to Jesus. That's good. Um, live a holy life. That's good. And so I think a lot of the confusion is over what it means, but in today's day and time, yeah, I think there are traditionalist Christians that find their identity more in the keeping of external boundaries of religion, looking religious rather than pure devotion to Christ and his grace. And all of us can slip into that kind of thinking. And then we don't want to associate with certain people or be seen with certain people. Um, We have a hard time loving and embracing certain people. And so I think it's always a challenge kind of no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's move, I guess, into your points. What What was your main your main point? Overarching well, I, uh, wanted to, I wanted mm-hmm. to say uh, some more yeah. about that first mm-hmm. thing because uh-huh. you started with kind of asking the question, what our view of God is. Mm-hmm. How do we imagine God? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's what these mm-hmm. stories are building towards is because mm-hmm. there is a, uh, there is a, attitude that's easy for us to get even as believers that God mm-hmm. is he's just waiting for us to mess up mm. and and so because of that mm. we tend to discount him or think that he isn't a good father mm. and so I think that's really important to this whole story because it really is about what do I think do I mm. what do I imagine when I close my eyes and say I want a picture of God in my head what's he mm-hmm. look like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think A.W. Tozer talks about that. Yeah, what's the picture of God that you have in your mind? So, yeah, I think Jesus is challenged. I think that is a good, a good point. And, and then to bring it back around, central to this is his picture of God that he's portraying is a God who pursues and rejoices over mm-hmm. sinners and lost people. Yeah. And gives everything up for them. Yeah, that's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So the main title was Rejoicing King. So trying to reorient ourselves to... God as king who rejoices over us. Um, 
And then my minor points were walking through the narrative. Uh, we should long for the king. We should run back to the king. And we should admit our anger at the king. And I, I don't know if you did it this week because I didn't have mm-hmm. a stopwatch. But usually mm-hmm. you spend more time on the first point, second point, And then you spend whatever you have left on your third point. <laughs> but I was thinking maybe we could kind of actually do the reverse for the podcast today. Mm-hmm. Is, is go through the first couple points quick. And then spend yeah. some time. Spend some time on admit your anger at the king, because mm-hmm. um, I think you even said in your sermon like this is the one where most of us will have problems with. So mm-hmm. I was hoping we can maybe do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how time management is going to work um, without everybody else here. It's going to be a little harder, but <laughs> we'll do our best. We miss I'll you try all. To hurry. Come back, A team. This is the C team today. So <laughs> all right. Long for the king. Point one. Uh, from verse 13 to verse mm-hmm. verse 17. Maybe I could speak mm-hmm. today, too. That'd be nice. Mm, you're doing great. Oh, thanks. Um, what did you talk about? Tending to pigs? So, yeah, he squandered. He ended up tending pigs. Pigs were both emotionally and ceremonially and in real life unclean in all those ways. And so... This would have been really repulsive to the first century listeners. This would have been like the lowest of the low. So, you know, if we would to share a story about someone falling into, you know, grotesque sexual addiction or selling their body, you know, human trafficking, you know, like it would have been that kind of repulsive, like, oh, no, this is the worst of the worst is how they would have seen this descent. And the word longing in verse 16, he was longing for the pods. But then he comes to himself, comes to his senses, and says, man, it'd be better to be a hired servant instead of starving here. Um, and so I was trying to contrast his longing for something disgusting, <laughs> you know, longing for sin versus longing for the king and trying to get get people to think about that contrast. It's better, better to long for the king than to long for the sin that we think is going to make us happy. Well, there's this underlying sense of dissatisfaction with where you are, right, that says, mm. God, you're not giving me what I want. Mm-hmm. And and because I don't have what I want, uh, you know, you're not good, so I wish you would just mm. leave me alone. Let yeah. me do what I want to do, is essentially what the son is saying. And the father mm-hmm. just says, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And, yeah. and the spoiler alert for the end is that uh, – uh, you translated the the father's talking to his son saying, you know, if you're with me, it's a party every day. And so mm-hmm. you're missing that it's all right mm-hmm. and good and actually a party. Mm-hmm. And instead mm-hmm. being dissatisfied. And somebody said uh, yesterday during hanging in the lobby that you don't realize that you've hit rock bottom or you're on your way to a rock bottom mm-hmm. until yeah. like you're there. I thought yeah. that was a really good observation with... Mm-hmm. with this text and this parable because, yeah, he thought, I don't have everything I need here. I'm going to go find it. And he goes, yeah. and, you know, in our story, we just see him all of a sudden hit rock bottom, right? But, mm-hmm. like, he didn't, we don't see all the steps there, and he probably didn't even realize yeah. he was there until all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's now one day, you know, in the pig pen trying to eat the slop. <laughs> like, Yeah, and that's, crazy. yeah, it's interesting we all need a crisis yeah to wake us up you know i think for me it was everything fell apart in my life that that was what brought me to a place of of really recognizing my need for god because i'd been 
I'd been kind of trying different idols in my own life, you know, trying this one and trying that one and they all failed. <laughs> and so like that was running into a brick wall and just realizing, Oh, none of these are working. Maybe, maybe I should reconsider Jesus, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that was a good point that, that was made yesterday. It's hard to know when you're on that slide cause you're still hoping in the idols. I think <laughs> mm-hmm. you're still hoping that the pleasure or, you know, whatever he was doing, spending his property in reckless living, he was really hoping that would be satisfying and, and make his life fulfilling. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, man. And I guess the other thing that was said, and I don't remember if you said it or not, but that you don't have to wait till you hit rock bottom though, to, yeah, to turn and to trust yeah. and to, to long for the King. I guess mm-hmm. that's your point, right? Long for the king. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's the shame cycle often stops us. Sometimes we have little moments of waking up on the way, I think. So I was just kind of trying to speak to different existential situations people find themselves in. You know, sometimes you're in the you're sliding and you know you're sliding down and you're like, well, this is embarrassing. I don't want to stop and ask for help. You know, I don't want to tell my Christian friend what's happening or confess to God or stop, stop the slide. So you just keep going because it's just easier to keep going. And I guess I was trying to appeal that like, no, no, really, you can stop. He, he loves you. It really would be better to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes it takes the crisis. It takes the like crash for us to really realize that and be cornered and have nowhere else to turn. Um, but yeah, a book that, we keep referencing on the podcast every few weeks. This, the cure is one that um, Jim had introduced me to the cure by John Lynch talks about, I guess the shame cycle and how shame often we run from God. So like I'm sinful, I'm ashamed. So then I run from God instead of recognizing that he's actually the best person to run to when, Hmm. when I feel ashamed. Yeah. I was going to, well, just brought to mind that, Perhaps there are many of these crises in our lives, mm. like mini mm-hmm. crises, where we yeah. we find out that we are not seeing God correctly in a certain uh, in regards to a certain thing that we love in our lives, or a way that we're acting, mm-hmm. or you know, just mm-hmm. something that we're caught up in that we don't realize that we've made more than it ought to be, and so mm-hmm. we that that continual. Thing that God's doing, He's doing a work in our lives, and His mm. grace brings those things to our attention. And so, in those many crises, we have to do the same thing and turn back to Him and go, "Wait, God's mm-hmm. showing me something here." So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. And I guess your application for this point was stop it, right? <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Link yes. to YouTube video here, but yes, just <laughs> just stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recognize that that God really is better than your sin. Mm-hmm. Sin always starts off promising. It always starts off feeling awesome. That's why that's why we're doing it. You know, I think a lot of times we we're told as kids, "Don't sin; it's bad." And then so, at some point, you try something, and the lightning bolt does not strike you, and you're like, "Huh? Okay. Well, I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to do this some more. This seems nice." And it takes a while before you really recognize the it's it's deadly grip on you. So how how do you stop it then? Help us figure that part out. Man, that's good. Um, I think the traditional Christian answer is is a good one. You name it. Uh, so we call that confession. Admit. Um, so 
you admit, this is sin. This is destructive. God, I thought I knew better than you, but this is not good. I want you. Help me. Forgive me. Um, I think it's important to lay First John 1, 9 next to James 5. I never remember if it's James five sixteen or James five eighteen, but James 5. So one says, you know, confess your sin to Jesus and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all, right, all unrighteousness. That's First John 1, 9. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you may be healed. So I think it's a two-step process of confession and asking for help of God. And we trust, again, in no shame can separate you from Jesus. He embraces us. But then also walking that out with a brother or a sister um, and saying, I need help. Will you pray for me? It breaks the power that sin has on us when we keep it hidden it kind of metastasizes, I think. Mm. Uh, but when we confess it, 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 it loosens its grip. How would you explain to somebody the difference between shame and guilt? Mm. Mm. Well, okay, I'll tell you what I'm... I, <laughs> you, He's like, I'll give you the you? answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, shame, mm. shame is something that makes us isolate and hide mm. you look at genesis three ten. you know as soon as adam okay. sinned the first thing he did was i was naked and i hid from you uh-huh. you know so he recognized that there's a problem between he mm-hmm. and god mm-hmm. guilt is actually something that is good because it 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 helps us see oh i mm-hmm. did something i shouldn't have done mm. and and god can yeah. take care of that issue Shame yeah. is something that forces us away from other people and God and our fellowship. Mm. Uh, and that's the way I've heard it explained. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense to you. Yeah. I think I, I, tend to, I tend to see it as they're two sides of the same coin. And so guilt can also drive us away from God or drive us to God. And shame can drive us away or to God. So I guess I mm-hmm. tend to see them one as more... Um, Eastern and one's more Western. One's more about merit and payment, and one's more about how I feel and my um, my self conception identity. Mm-hmm. So I've tended to think about it, but yeah, I think I do think um, part of what you're addressing might be the fact that our our culture has more ready answers for guilt than we do for shame, because we tend to communicate the gospel in terms of guilt and payment, and we don't communicated as often in shame and covering because mm. Jesus Jesus does take away your shame as well you know so I guess yeah. I would think see I, I think existentially in real life you're right people tend to hide more with shame and tend to turn to God more with guilt but I think that's you know 500 years of Western culture mm. in yeah. our context I agree I was I was gonna say that before you did was mm. I think okay. you're absolutely right in our cultural context but for different people who come from different cultural backgrounds, I think it might be different. Um, mm-hmm. 3D Gospel is a great book to look at for the differences mm-hmm. in the different cultures and how they see and hear the gospel. I don't remember mm-hmm. who wrote it because I'm not in my office yeah. and I don't have all my books. <laughs> at this point, I should have just yeah. moved like all my bookshelves into here. And I'm <laughs> yeah, just right. going to. I've got like a four foot stack of books in my. Uh, pantry right now (laughs) (laughs) well i I don't want to take too long talking about Mm -hmm. this little bit of it but i'm wondering if either of you have anything about confession um modern church at least our uh 
genre kind of his lost confession you know we hmm. talk a little bit about it we have a little bit of a time in our service for people to confess quietly with themselves before god mm-hmm. um how do we do confession at our church how has the church done it historically is it beneficial should we do more than we do what do you guys think just quick thoughts i won't take too long on it yeah i mean when chris and i first started planning worship services at the church that was probably the first thing that we added that was not part of the normal contemporary church um plan you know and so we were like we need a place for confession and lament and so we built that in at the beginning like this is a hole in in modern churches so we did put it in we've tried different things where it's more scriptural less you know more uh people you know the person up front praying for people or to silence you know tried different things we just see it as a time to acknowledge to be a Christian is to admit you have sin and that Jesus is the answer, you know? So we just try to like hammer that over and over again and teach that as a, as an ongoing gift. So I think, I think that's good in general. I, you know, obviously we're doing what we're doing cause we think it's good. So <laughs> I'm not sure what else we would do at this point. Yeah. I'm thinking more from a personal standpoint or from a mm-hmm. small group standpoint mm-hmm. that, uh, finding a safe place where you can actually tell people I'm mm-hmm. dealing, I'm struggling with this thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I kind of like the CR model where they let you talk about, okay, how to affect other people. Mm-hmm. Is there something I have to repay? Is there something I have to ask for forgiveness for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking all those things quite literally and doing them, you know, actually mm-hmm. uh, following through, there's real mm-hmm. freedom in that. Uh, mm-hmm. It allows us to, it allows us to shed all the shame because it's out in the open. It takes away yeah. the power power of that hidden sin over us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say, I see extremes. We avoid it in the average small group Bible study, and then celebrate recovery. It feels a little mechanical because it mm-hmm. it's almost centered around it. And so, yeah, I would love I'd love to see a more seamless connection there you know where it's it's easier in our small group and accountability relationships cool well once we've stopped it however that is and whatever that looks like the next uh point from your sermon is running run back to the king mm-hmm. um it's the point where the son decides even if everything's worse or nothing could be worse basically than Mm-hmm. Then going home to my father, I can be in the worst um, position in my father's household and it would still be better mm-hmm. than this. So he comes mm-hmm. back uh, to the father and uh, you focused a little bit on actually not the son coming back, but on the father coming mm-hmm. to the son. Yeah. And talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this this was a change your mind application point. Um, to see God as actually embracing you, loving you, pursuing you. So this was probably the biggest uh, focus on, you know, how do you see God? So we, we prepare our little speech. You, you got the guy preparing a speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And so that's that good confession. We should prepare our confession. We should run to God. And then what happens is we bring our confession before God as we grow in our faith, we realize God was running to us. Um, and so this is the, what's the posture of God 
you see? Do you recognize that he's running after you? He's looking for you. He's pursuing you. Um, and again, this was a big place where in the first century, this would be very undignified for the father to run. This was um, mm -hmm. just like overly gracious, you might say. It was shocking in their culture that we have a God that is so gracious that he would run to us. And I think this is what the story is most famous for. This part, you know, the way the father embraces the son and loves him and restores him. Um, that kind of unconditional forgiveness, unconditional adoption and embrace is probably the clearest thing from this story that everybody, you know, everybody tells. The third point is the part that's the weird part that gets left off. But this part is the part that I think everybody sees as like, yes, if you run to God, he embraces you. He loves you. He welcomes you back. He runs to you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then you talked, I guess, about, you know, what do we expect? What do we see of the father? Kind of similar to the first point, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do we need to get everything right first? Mm, yeah. No, the answer is no, you don't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing that God's mercy starts with the gift of repentance, right? Because mm. that's actually something he's doing in our heart mm -hmm. uh, to allow us to be able to say, oh, you know what? This, this has mm -hmm. to stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that, that's already God's mercy. It's, mm. it's not that we're so good that we think of that and go, oh, I'm so smart. I should repent. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was trying to, find the, trying to find the verse in, in First or Second Peter that talks about that as something that uh, mm. someone might actually repent because you have showed them Jesus. You have, mm. you know, mm -hmm. but it refers to it as a gift. Mm-hmm. What about the 90s worship song? It's your kindness that leads to repentance. That's Tune a good kindness. Yeah. There you go. I can't remember the tune. I'm gone. I'm not even going to try. Well, that's actually a scriptural verse, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, Romans hmm. 10, I think, or 11. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Your application was run to the Father, throw yourself at his mercy. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's really just stand still and let the Father run to you. <laughs> I think it's important to run to him. I, so Chris and I have toyed with this in the confession portion. There's this weird both and with confession. If you see God as gracious and as a fortress and as a shelter, you will confess. Um, sometimes it's our brokenness and seeing our sin that drives us to confess. So you've got the, um, Isaiah 6, holiness of God, mm -hmm. just the shock, the sheer shock of your sin before a holy God is a common confession trigger, right? Um, I am a man of unclean lips. So that is, that is a common, the holiness of God is commonly something that drives us to confession. But I think also, you know, the Romans verse, his kindness leads us to repentance. There, there's this weird other side of it of like, Oh, seeing that he's forgiven or forgiving, that that's his posture also leads us to repentance. So I think mm -hmm. we come at it from both sides. It's mm. hmm. good. Mm. Well, now we get to be angry. <laughs> Point three was admit your anger at the king. You said mm. it's probably the hardest for 
most of the people who were in the room or at home watching the sermon um, mm-hmm. to admit or to see. I don't remember exactly what he said, but mm-hmm. what is it? See ourselves as that older brother. Yeah. So, so I think a common, a common kind of way that we walk out in the Christian life is we start with Jesus by recognizing we're a sinner, like the younger brother. I'm a sinner. Man, I messed up. God, forgive me. We're like, wow, God's forgiving. He loves me. We start walking with Jesus and start living out the Christian life, trying to obey him and follow him. And we kind of, we, Peter talks about it as becoming nearsighted and blind. I can't remember if that's first Peter one or second Peter one, but it's, it's in chapter one of one of the Peter letters. And he says, when we kind of drift from joy and the fruit of the spirit, it's a, we're nearsighted and blind with the gospel. So it's this idea that you can, you can drift from that sweet grace and start to think you're earning his love as you continue to follow him. So you can drift towards this older brother stance. And um, so I think we just really have to take a a look at ourselves. And and so in this story, it's are you rejoicing with the Father? Do you see being with the Father as the ultimate gift? Mm. Or are you slaving and obeying to get a goat or to get a party or to get a blessing out of the father, which is what this guy is. This older son is, seems to be admitting he's disgusted that the younger son gets grace for less obedience. And he's comparing his obedience and saying, I've obeyed more. I should get more blessing. Right. And you, that's where Joey brought in the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's a very similar, similar kind of vibe. Who's, who's this parable being told to? Um, so, Verse one, let me reread. Verse one sets up that context. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is, best we can understand, an answer to their grumbling. You know, like the sinners love Jesus, the religious people are mad. And so Jesus is like, all right, here's an answer to why the sinners love me and why I love them and why you're mad. (laughs) Yeah, and that makes sense. That's what I was thinking, but then I couldn't Mm -hmm. remember for sure, so I want to verify. But Mm -hmm. I think it makes sense because we we read Scripture, we see the Pharisees, like, they're the bad guys. We would never be them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I don't know. I think we are them more than we think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, it's easy to drift into that. And I was trying to confess, yeah, I run into that too. Uh, any any Christian who's been walking with Jesus for a while, when you have a crisis and your immediate thought is like, "Why why'd you do this, God? I like I thought I've been being good." You know, like I've, I thought I've been being good. Are you mad at me? Why why are you being mean to me when I've been obedient? You know, so that's a that's a clue right there. I think a lot of us fall into that. Um, mm-hmm. I, mm. And you, you spent a little bit of time. It was actually the first, uh, I don't know, the first, the biggest thing that I wrote a star next to in my notes yesterday was, mm. you know, you talked about a vending, like treating God like a vending machine mm, and, yeah, yeah. and how, you know, if we put our money in the vending machine, we should get our blessing. Now, yeah. how, how dare you vending machine? You're withholding <laughs> the blessing that I paid for. Yes. Like, that mm. anger you feel, the... Imagine yourself beating on the machine to get your Cheetos to fall, and that's kind of that's kind of what we can be like. At least God. shaking it a little bit, right? Shaking it, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be careful; oh. those things fall over. 
Yeah. <laughs> Those things are heavy. <laughs> and they might have alarms in them that go off when you shake them, actually. But, oh, yeah. Um, you got to be careful. I'm sure now they have cameras, too, that uh, record you. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The first time I heard this part of the story taught was by Tim Keller. And I thought Tim... I thought Tim was overplaying it. Like I thought, this isn't right. And I had to go back and reread the text. Mm. I was like, no, like everything he's saying is true. Like this is the context. The context was the religious leaders that were angry. He comes back around and he's showing them as a character in his story. Yeah. <laughs> as being the angry son that refuses to enter the party with the father and refuses to love what the father loves. I was like, wow. It just, it shocked me. You know, you hear a story told so many times and the likeness is what stands out. You know, repetition helps us learn. So the likeness of rejoicing over sinners is definitely the key motif. But then the rejection of that by the older brother is where it ends. And so it's like a two-edged sword. So it's God rejoices over sinners. God forgives sinners. And religious people don't. <laughs> you know? Religious people do not do what God does. God shows grace. Religious people you know, show no mercy. And that's, that's what he's really convicting them on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That whole idea that what the older brother is angry about is he did, he did what he thought was the right thing. Mm -hmm. Right. But Mm -hmm. then in the end, you find out that what's really being spent is his inheritance for the party, right? What he perceives as his inheritance. And, And now the younger brother has spent all his, he doesn't see why the younger brother should get anything from the father. Cause, and by the way, it's supposed to be my stuff when the father dies. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that part, that's another part that I think I've, I only heard from Tim Keller, but it logically is very clear. Yeah. The, it's, it's the older brother's inheritance that is now being spent to celebrate the younger son. So that's just. Well, Adds well, to I, his infuriation. And I think his his point was, we're the same. The, mm. the guy who runs away and does whatever he wants to do, and the guy who stays because he thinks he can form, perform well enough for God, are both doing the same thing. They both just mm. want the father's stuff. They don't want the relationship. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're with me, it's a party every day. They're just yeah. missing the party. Man. Um yeah. Yeah, I guess it reminds me, too, of, uh, I think you talked about this some, but a few years ago, we did a vacation Bible school, this upside-down kingdom, basically Jesus turning um, turning our normal frame of reference upside down, you know, like what we think everything should be like or everything is like, mm. and it's, it's just not, that's not the kingdom he came to establish. Yeah, yeah. The, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mm. That's another one. Yeah, there's so many of these parables. Mm. We the, did. Uh, I w- go ahead. No, okay. I was just going to say we spent some time yesterday during hanging out in the lobby also talking about how we can, um, I guess, how we can not be like the older brother. Is that what we talked about? Yeah. Um, anyways, I don't know if you want to talk anything about that. My answer mm-hmm. was... Well, that's not the point. The point is to be more like Jesus, not to not be like the older brother. Mm. Mm-hmm. And being more like Jesus will cause you to not be like the older brother. Mm-hmm. But, but there were yeah. some some good thoughts in there. I don't know if you remember any of them, but yeah, I think gratitude 
and thankfulness as a discipline is a good one. And I think that's kind of what the, uh, the 1000 gifts book is about someone who's going through suffering and difficulty as a follower of Christ and learning the discipline and the practice of giving thanks. Um, mm. so I think that's really good. It's maybe even the flip side of, of confession and forgiveness is mm. giving thanks, right? Praise, maybe a way to say that as well. Um, and I think too, we have to recognize that we should confess our pursuit of sin as a sin, but we should also confess our obedience for a blessing as hmm. as a as a type of sin, as a type of idolatry. I got to be careful how I say this. This is this is getting into rough territory, right? Um, God promises blessings and obedience. So it's good and right to obey. And I even think there's something right about obeying because God says it's good, but, but we've got to do it more out of a relationship of love with Jesus rather than a, so I'll get the thing, you know, not a mechanical mm -hmm. result right. of blessing. And that's where it gets real confusing because, you know, one of the greatest heresies in the church today is in America is the health and wealth gospel that that teaches a mechanical, if you have enough faith, you will get this much blessing in return, like a guarantee. And God does not guarantee blessing, but I think there are general, general promises of blessing for obedience. It's always better to obey, but not necessarily this week. It may not be better this week. It may not be better for 20 years. Um, and we have to trust God in the long, the long haul. So I, I want to clarify a little bit, I guess. So our applications mm -hmm. focus on us, which, I mean, it's good. Mm -hmm. We should be mm -hmm. looking at us, examining ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and in and, and this point, you're like, are you the younger brother? Are you the older brother? Um, mm -hmm. But just come to the party, right? More or less. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to say this poorly, but... Yeah. The Bible is not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus, mm -hmm. right? That's the point of Scripture, mm -hmm. the point of Gospel. Everything points to Jesus. So, how is this story? Mm -hmm. Can you help make that connection? The Gospel focus, yeah. sometimes it's called, or yeah. Um, and I, th I th in your notes, it's it's here. I think mm -hmm. you did it on Sunday, mm -hmm. but but help us make the connection of what what is this story? How does it point to Jesus? Yeah, so I mean, I think it ultimately points to God's posture in general. You know, so without doing systematic theology, this story stands alone as one that says God has a loving and forgiving posture towards sinners. And religious people often are bitter about that and they don't agree with them. And so the invitation mm -hmm. is to also have the same posture that God has. The rest of the book of Luke in the New Testament teaches us that the mechanics of how that works is that Jesus spent his inheritance to forgive our sin and create the party. <laughs> so that's where yeah. Keller connects those dots pretty well when he teaches on it. So Jesus is the good older brother. So in this story, there's this older brother that doesn't agree with the father's agenda. And so, a lot of what you see Jesus doing when he condemns the religious leadership or condemns Israel as a, as a, uh, what's the word, institution, he's condemning that they're not agreeing with God's agenda. God had an agenda for Israel to be God's people, 
um, to represent him, to live righteously, to live holy, but also to be a light to the Gentiles and to share God's forgiveness, right? So much of the sacrificial system was all people have sinned and that God's forgiveness is the way to have that cured. And so what Israel at the first century was often doing, not every single person, but often the religious leaders were focusing on holiness and righteousness, but not focusing on forgiveness of sin and atonement. And so Jesus is saying, no, God's about atonement. He's about this forgiveness of sin. And we're all, we're all unrighteous. We're all sinners that need Mm -hmm. forgiveness of sin. So when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, that's the solution for everybody. It's not just the solution for the bad tax collectors and prostitutes. It's also the solution for the religious people that have been trying to do the right thing. And so, um, so Jesus is the point in that he's the one that makes it all possible, right? Um, but there's a there's a broader point made that's, I think, easy to see. The broader point is, is God's just gracious and forgiving, you know? <laughs> so that's that general point that this story brings out. And so you can either be a religious person that doesn't like that grace that God is showing, or you can be a grace lover who receives it and then gives it back out. And so I think that's the ultimate application Again, going back to how do we how do we not be the older brother? Well, we show grace. We receive grace and we show grace. But if you're stuck as the older brother that's angry and doesn't go to the party, what's happening is you're not receiving grace. You're thinking that you're doing it all on your own. So you're doing mm-hmm. it all on your own and then expecting others to do it all on their own. And so then, yeah, that's where what we call judgmentalism comes from. Christians are to make judgments. We are to do what's right and not do what's wrong. That kind of judgment is biblical and thoroughly correct, but I'd say judgmentalism or being judgmental, that kind of thing that Jesus condemns is thinking you're always right and then applying that kind of selfish standard on others. Um, so anyway, that's that's all I have to say about that. Jim, any other thoughts? Uh, I haven't formulated a good thought. Lately, but I do think it's important for us to ask, what is our status? I mean, am I just loving me or am I noticing that I get so much grace and love from God that I can actually love others because of that love? And I'm just wondering if we sometimes we have this limited perspective of God that says, well, there's only so much grace and, you know, I don't have that much to give, forgetting that God is an 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 overflowing, incredible, mm. beyond our imagination amount of grace to give to us and to other people. So, and we're the we have the privilege of being the conduit for that. Mm. Uh, so I think that's that frees us from being a person who says, "Well, I I only want to get what I want to get." Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than you could ever ask or understand, huh? Right. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Dave, last thoughts, wrapping us up. Good talk. Yeah, man, I'm just, I'm excited. It's a great story. (laughs) I just tell everybody, go go back, reread it, retell it. It's it's awesome. It's beautiful. What's on the horizon? What are we talking about next week? Man, I think it's the Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, which is a little tricky because it occurs in a few different places and we think, I think we think there's a repetition told slightly differently of one story and then there's another story that's similar but it's not the exact same story you know so that's one of those confusing gospel when you read all the gospels it's hard to tell the difference between a story told from a slightly different perspective versus 
it was actually a different occurrence where a similar thing happened. And that mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in the Gospels. And how many more weeks do we have of Stories of the King? I think three. Getting I think close. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's going to wrap up soon. Right at the turn, the end of August, we're going to do a transitional sermon. The plan is to do uh, a sermon where Jesus talks about how we wait for him to return. And then I'm going to try to tie that in with Jeremiah 29, where Jeremiah tells the exiles how to wait on God during the exile and try to show the similarities between those two times you know so we're waiting for jesus to come back it's a type of exile we are grace sharing exiles this is part of god's plan to extend his grace to the world and then there will be a final um fixing of everything the end times so what does it look like to live faithfully in the end times um and that just to clarify those instructions are given to Jesus's followers 2000 years ago. And we're still in those same end times, you know, so (laughs) we're not especially worried about it because things are more crazy right now. But I think the fact that things are more crazy right now causes people to ask questions like, wait, is this the end times? How do we live? And I think the biblical focus is the end times started at the resurrection and will end at the final end times. (laughs) (laughs) They'll end when they end. All right. when they end. Yep. yep. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. You heard it here first. You know what's happening before anybody else. So, Woo-hoo. welcome to Sunday Recap. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's been fun. We miss you, Chris, Kendrick, and Elliot. Don't leave us hanging like this again. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>